Hi, I'm Ketki and I'm Sanaya. We're two curious overthinkers who love pop culture. In this podcast, we'll be dissecting pop culture and technology trends and how they're shaping everyday life. Ever watched a TV show or movie, read an article or heard a song that made you stop and wonder what it reflects about us and the way that we live our lives? That's where we come in. Welcome to Dude, I was thinking. Where no thought is too fleeting to dissect, analyze and follow down the rabbit hole. Hi Sanaya, this is our take 5 for we've been experiencing some audio issues, not really experienced <laughs> audio engineers. I mean, we try, but um Sanaya was sounding like a bit of a chipmunk, but she won't be now. What do you mean? <laughs> Sorry, no, no. Not That's my real voice. Clearly right to sound like a chipmunk voice. <laughs> so, okay. what's How up? That? How have you been? I've been sniffly. Hmm. I've had a headache. I've not been great. <laughs> but, oh, no. but we're here. We're talking into microphones. Yes. That's a good feeling. Yeah. How about you? I've been okay. I've just been kind of, you know, going through the motions, I guess. Just life is being life, I guess. Um I think what you're trying to say is your spiraling. I am and um I think this episode is going to play into that theme. We are spiraling today. Do you want to talk our listeners through what Yeah, so what we're this be- is it's a new episode variety. And in this episode it's just going to be me and Ketki. We're going to be talking about things that we like thinking about. Um things that don't necessarily need to have like a grand unifying question but that are just interesting that you know lead us gently towards a rabbit hole and this episode is essentially the process of falling into it yeah spiraling into it but today we're spiraling into i think a very special topic very yeah. special person to both of us Mrs. Taylor Allison Swift. Why did you do that? <laughs> She's not Mrs. Oh no, all. sorry, Miss Taylor. Oh my God. What are you? What are, what no. are you projecting onto her? Why did I do that? Why are you condemning her to like domesticity at the peak of her career? No, I'm sorry. He no. was sunshine. She was midnight rain. So she is definitely not Mrs. The only kind of Mrs. she can be right now is Mrs. Taylor Swift, like married to her career, yeah, to herself, yeah. But yes, this is, I guess, an episode long, long in the making, long in the spiraling. Because every time we meet to talk about new episode ideas, I think we have like inadvertently spoken about Ms. Taylor Swift. Oh yeah, inadvertently for long periods of time. I think it took some time to realize this that we should probably do an episode about her, and we finally are. So in this episode, I guess it's going to be like. broad overview of our relationship with Taylor Swift both of us have had our own trajectories yeah of arriving at her music of listening to her music and currently our experience as fans as people who like to dissect culture and it's just a ripe moment in time to mm-hmm. talk about Taylor Swift the artist Taylor Swift the celebrity Taylor Swift the icon what her legacy is what does it mean to be a fan of hers and what is as we always like to ask in this podcast what does that say about ourselves yeah so the way that we've structured this particular episode is each of us has come up with 
a bunch of questions some we've discussed before some we'll probably be talking about for the first time on this episode and about Taylor Swift which we will ask each other and hopefully it'll lead us to some interesting conclusions about our own relationship with her you know society's relationship with her her or raise new questions yes. that we haven't thought of already <laughs> mhm yeah so this is a question that i think about a lot because very often i find myself in situations where i am the most enthusiastic fan of taylor's yeah and people have called me a swifty and my immediate knee jerk reaction is like am i a swifty i mean i don't know like i didn't necessarily always embrace that moniker of being a swifty mm. so i just wanted to understand you know is do you have the same experience like do you consider yourself a swifty short answer is yes but i do think that there's always going to be somebody who's more of a swifty than you and i think because we're kind of so tuned into the swift verse that we are confronted by these swifties and in comparison to them i often feel maybe i'm not swifty enough but i don't take any issue with the tag in itself cuz like much like you i feel like a lot of my social circles i am the most enthusiastic about taylor swift and then known as the quote unquote swifty and you know i mean it's a term which i think that people sometimes use liberally like even cuz she is so ubiquitous right like she's yeah everywhere <laughs> and sometimes if you even know like her top you know uh like singles and you really enjoy them or you're somebody who just follows her album cycle you can also consider yourself to be a swifty mhm like to me i think a swifty is definitely someone who's a lot more dedicated and an involved fan because i think that it comes with a certain definition now which is you know you pay attention to not just the things that like anybody could really see like okay she's releasing a new album on this particular date but like you know you pay attention to the easter eggs or mm-hmm. you're hyper and you go down like rabbit holes about that one tweet that she put out and like you're like freaking out about that mm-hmm. or you're like crazily obsessing over like this thing that she did on this one particular day so i feel like that is the swifty and i definitely think that i fall into that category yeah i feel like if being a swifty means being a fan and enjoying someone's work and also enjoying the way in which this artist has chosen to interact with her fans whether that's through easter eggs or like you know coded messages i think yes i am a swifty but i feel like there is a kind of swiftydom which is this notion of fandom where your star is beyond criticism mm. where like that's where i start feeling uncomfortable right or this notion of i need to defend this artist from perceived you know evil people who are going to steal her throne almost and i mean quite literally in terms of let's try and stream her music as much as possible to get it to the top of the charts yeah. or like you know on behalf of taylor you know feel wronged by her ex-boyfriends her past ex-boyfriends even or you know take up what they think Joe Alwyn did or didn't do is, for the relationship so you, i feel like yeah. that type of parasocial relationship is what makes me feel uncomfortable about the idea that that is the kind of relationship that some people have with her i sometimes like find myself getting pulled into that kind of discourse online because that's what my twitter for i mean now x formally twitter feed 
looks like but i feel like i don't get like go head first into that i would like to remain critical of some of the things that she does as well yeah i mean there's definitely degrees right like there is that militant swifty but i'm wondering if that form of like fandom is it more to do with being a swifty or is it just stan culture in general like can it take on that form and i feel like historically and even now like there are other artists who have stands like this who like would cancel people who you know speak up against their the artist that they're a fan of yeah i think that was like one of the questions that we were talking about like what is the kind of fame yeah yeah one of the questions that i definitely i mean yeah it ties into that question which is that what is then unique about the kind of fame that like taylor enjoys specifically like what who like what sets swifties apart from other you know stands yeah i was thinking about this quite a bit which is that i think that even if there are other stand communities that may on the surface behave in similar ways where you know there are these crusades to stream an artist as much as possible to get your faves to the top of the charts i still feel like for dears with fans in particular the kind of investment or stake that the fans have in taylor's life and career i think is i i can't think of other examples of this and yeah. by that i literally sometimes i mean it seems like whatever decision she makes in her personal life it's like imagine the swifties being like 100 million friends who have an opinion on your boyfriend and they will want to make themselves be heard mm. and that is in part yes the outcome of the way in which technology has evolved social media feeds into it the kind of visibility you have into people's lives sure but also from like the very beginning the way in which she wrote about her personal life in her songs i think there was an invitation and i don't think that this is like what a lot of people say which is she's like milking her relationships to like write songs about it and then make lots of money i don't mean it in that sense it's like to create a communal sense of what i'm going through you're going through too yeah. i'm going to write a song that you're going to find relatable we're all friends this notion of i am friends with my fans it has been a big part of being taylor's fans right like how many times have we had conversations about was joe good for taylor mm. you know like which relationship left her feeling fulfilled like we talk about her as though she is a friend and this has been cultivated through her music and the way it has you know charted the course of her life that now in 2023 if she's dating someone the fans are going to have an opinion on it and they're going to make themselves Healy. yeah they're going to make themselves be heard and she in return feels responsible to her fans it's not a one way relationship that's also the thing that is really unique yeah. also about this but it's still parasocial that's yeah. the thing it's still parasocial but i do think she feels the need to you know factor her fans in thoughts yeah. into her next moves yeah like her personal journey is our personal journey for sure it's very voyeuristic also i feel like there is definitely like it takes an ugly side i think that we also kind of like consume her life with this sense of like voyeurism like and that yeah but she's also invited us in yeah 
to a great like it's not like the happy outcome of her music i think that the fact that she has cultivated such an interactive fan relationship which i think is definitely one of the things that have made her stand apart from all her contemporaries and even people who have come after her the way in which she engages with her fans she's invited them into her house mm. for secret sessions she's you know left hints you know in her albums and liner notes where she wants fans to decode what yeah. a song is about she's never going to say it outright but she wants fans to engage with music in that way and like there are limits to that because we don't really know this person we don't really know what she's like in a relationship apart from her own songs about it so i think like this is different because i think it's that thing where there's an invitation into a very intimate part into her lives which she shares with her fans to create a feeling of friendship that and that we're in it together and at the same time if fans want something she almost feels obliged to, to give it yeah them. the 10 minute version of all too well yeah i think that like plays into like creative decisions that she makes for sure which i think is definitely it's always very exciting and it kind of reassures fans and makes them engage with her further because like she gives them what they want there's a possibility that she's going to take your tweet seriously yeah yeah like if you have an idea for like you know how many times have we seen tweets where concept album for tv debut you know when like they've just taken like random pictures of her and they've made like an entire presentation of what they think the concept for the artwork should be yeah. and it's like they are that invested in her career mm. where it, it matters to them like what her next move is and i feel like this kind of fan service for lack of a better term it sometimes like results in great things all to well 10 minute yeah. version being an example of that and sometimes i feel she is just like i don't know she's she too responsive like she doesn't need to be yeah. that answerable like you know the more lana uh, del rey oh, version yeah, like that doesn't that's another example of her overcorrecting because there is a sense that the one group of people that she will not turn against no matter what are her fans yeah and i don't think that is necessarily a good thing i mean i think about this like this definitely played into the whole matty healy situation like there was definitely some very like valid criticism towards her dating matty healy but also at the same time i think like as fans where is that line right like you can criticize her work and maybe because you feel like you have this like personal stake in her life almost that you can you can sort of have an opinion on who she's dating but again the militant swifties got really militant about it and i think it impacted her decision and led her to break up with him i wonder about that you know cuz i think she's at this moment in her career too big to date i don't think she can i just can't imagine a scenario in which she is like spotted with someone and the swifties won't have opinions on it yeah and <laughs> i just don't see a scenario in which she's spotted with someone and that person's socials are not flooded like i i just mm-hmm. cannot imagine this and i think i've never at least i've never heard of something like this where you are so huge that it's no person that you date they're going to be subject to a lot of scrutiny and i think ultimately like matty healy's checkered past mm. like it crumbled under that scrutiny and yeah she's bigger than she's ever been it's like 
I don't know what kind of life she leads when she's not on stage during this tour, the Eras tour, which she's been on since March at this point. And this is going to be her life, what, till the end of, I think, November of 2024, which is almost like one and a half years of, like almost two years of constant touring. touring. So, So I don't know. I think it's, it's like a great business decision for her, but how does this pan out in terms of her life? Again, like as fans, we're having this conversation, like what does this business decision mean for her life? I know. You know? So what does this artistic creative decision mean for her life? So I don't think that there are other famous people who are discussed and their personal lives discussed and this enmeshed with, with their creative output. Mm. To this level of granularity, that is. Yeah, sure. and I think like if we go back to the personal stake that fans feel like they have in her music, in her artistry, like let's like backtrack a little bit. So our own journey as fans, um, what was the first Taylor Swift song that you had ever heard? And when? Love Story in 2008, I think, okay. when it came out. So that like her first big single. Like yeah, I yeah. hadn't heard of her before that and I was also living in Singapore at the time and I feel like her debut album was not a very big in the in the international charts for sure so yeah love story same I think the first song I heard was also love story and this was back in 2008 when everyone in school had MSN messenger and like multiple people just like changed their status (laughs) to baby just say yes baby just say yes and that was like my entry point into Taylor Swift. But was this when you became a fan? Yeah. And if not, what was the song that made you a fan? So it was actually Love Story. Because I remember listening to that song. It was playing on the radio. And I just remember like falling very instantly in love with it. I was a very romantic teenager um, growing up. Like yeah. I was definitely, you know consuming a lot of the similar things that I suppose Taylor was consuming at the time which is you know your uh, 2000s era rom-coms reading a lot of romantic novels and stuff like that and this song kind of plays into that romanticism that I guess I was idealizing at Mm -hmm. the time and so it was just like clicked for me and it just like it made me feel very excited I think I listened to her single before her album came out if I'm not wrong so I waited for her album and then listened to the entire Fearless album and I just remember feeling very like I just felt like this person was singing about love in a way that I had come to idealize and I really like enjoyed that and that yeah. made me a fan yeah. yeah yeah I'm I'm a late bloomer when it comes to Taylor yeah. because I heard love story and you know I was not in touch with my emotions <laughs> I think to be a Taylor Swift fan when you're 13 there has to be like some emotional awareness and I did not have that I don't think I did and I think that was the first song I heard and I liked it I like music and this is on the charts and Mm. the music I listen to is like the top whatever 100 best songs blah 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 like that was all the thought that went into listening to it and the second song I heard was actually Mary's song and then the third song I heard was Crazier from the Hannah Montana soundtrack so essentially whatever was showing up when I did like a Google search of like top 100 songs, billboard, list, and whatever I could find. Like I used to just download all the artists and I wasn't like, I don't think I was immediately enamored by Taylor Swift or like even thinking about her storytelling at the time. And 
I had a very loose relationship with her after that where, you know, I Shake It Off was one of my like go-to dance songs. Like if you start playing it, I'm immediately dancing. So mm-hmm. that was my relationship with that. I remember when I first saw the video, I wanted to get like a long bob. I wanted a lob after seeing her new hair. Yeah. I didn't know any of the, you know, lore behind it that she had like long curly hair and her cutting her hair is like signifying her pop crossover. I had no reference points to any of that. Mm. And ultimately, I think it took me getting in touch with my emotions for me to like, it was like just inevitable after that happened. So I, I got in touch with my emotions in my early 20s. And I feel like I got to Taylor Swift as a result through Lover, mm. the song and the album. I yeah. think that's what happened. And then it's like 2020, it's the pandemic. And I watch Miss Americana and I'm like, wow. I'm like witnessing just how thoughtful she is for the first time and how articulate she is. And I was basically just primed to be yeah. a fan. I remember you sending me the New York Times video, like the diary of a song on Love. Yeah, because I was also going through a phase in which I was writing poetry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, I was unemployed and writing poetry and in touch with my emotions for the first time. And it was 2019 and it was about to be 2020. So that's when folklore sort of descended. Yeah. It just descended from the heavens. I was fully primed to just yeah. dive headfirst. Yeah. So... Late bloomer Swifty here. I mean, I feel like my relationship, my fan relationship with Taylor, there's been two phases of it. So the first was like when I'm 13 years old and I listen to Love Story and Fearless for the first time and I fall completely in love with her. And then I listen to her debut album, really, really enjoy that. I still think Teardrops on my guitar is like a fantastic song. But then I think I really fell prey to a lot of like the negative commentary around Taylor Swift. And I remember listening to Speak Now I think it was around the like Kanye incident when people started to really like diss her, you know, like very, very publicly. And it became almost like uncool to like Taylor Swift. Like I remember very vividly that this was the reality and like people in school would like said things like, oh, you like Taylor Swift, you know, and I um, I was just a teenager and I definitely like fell prey to that whole idea which obviously I regret now. And it was also like a turning point in like my journey with music in general. So I was sort of hanging out with a lot of boys and listening mm-hmm. to a lot of like classic rock, which is great. Yeah. But um, so I rejected her for a long time. I started to reject a lot of the ideas that she came to embody. And then I think like sometime around 1989, of course, like she became like massive suddenly. Mm-hmm. So I listened to all of 1989. I remember liking quite a lot of it, but just listening to it as you would listen to any like mainstream pop, Album. Yeah, like you're passing through. You're passing through. You're not really engaging with mm-hmm. it in a in a very deep way. Same like you. I think the second phase of my fandom journey sort of started with Lover. Mm-hmm. Um, phase two, which yeah, which I just came to yeah really enjoy, and then just folklore hit, and I'm like, oh my god, this woman is. Yeah, I think yeah, this is another thing that I've been thinking about as well in relation to my fan journey with Taylor and you've kind of touched upon that I don't think it's ever been cool to like Taylor Swift I don't mm. think it's cool right now <laughs> I don't think it was cool back it's, then it's, but there, it's cooler I, I don't know it's maybe I think because there are more fans than ever before yeah. maybe it's 
more difficult to deride them directly but i don't think it's considered generally cool to like taylor swift like i don't think like i i feel like whenever i think about what's cool what isn't cool it's still like uh i need to really consciously assert myself hmm. and it's definitely not chill to like hmm. taylor swift i'm not a chill person about this but this idea that you know it definitely was never cool to listen to taylor swift but i feel like there was a point at which it became distinctly uncool to listen to her and like you said like you know it's you start thinking about like okay what do boys think about this music like is it a yeah. uh, complex music what is she singing about so i just wanted your take on this which is do you think taylor swift is girl music like girl dinner the yeah. the trope on the internet which is this idea that here is something for consumption which is not meant for everybody it is very specifically curated to appeal to women and that's the idea yeah and because of that it is derided because it's thought of as girl music and not you know what you would associate with like dude rock is this girl music and automatically uncool like what do you think is the relationship between taylor swift and ideas of girlhood hmm. and what does that even mean now that so many of her fans are well into adulthood i really think that as i look at her catalog of music and especially her like early work what really makes it stand out for me right now and this is like me now as a mature listener are these like themes of girlhood like they are as core to her music as you know just it is what defined the very identity that her music would come to take and it is very closely interlinked to themes around girlhood and especially the time that like that music came out which was like now at this point like about like 15 years ago or something like that men like and also it's um, a lot of like young teenage girls liked her music which as we know historically it's never considered to be cool if you know young girls like your music but the reason the young girls like your music is because there are themes around girlhood that appeal to them and it is these young girls that make you popular so i think her music is very closely interlinked to ideas and themes around girlhood and she's suffered quite greatly because of that at least her image has but her fans and especially those who were able to like stay consistent to really like own that relationship with her and they really are also the reason why she's as popular as she is today yeah i think this is like significant because i feel like what occurs to me when i so i have fully dived into her music as an adult right like looking yeah. back like i've gotten onto her 2019 and then dived into the back catalog and sort of looked at it through the lens of an adult who yeah. would look more kindly upon whatever girlish fantasies i had mm. when i was younger or didn't have or what a girlish fantasy even was mm. so it always occurred to me that this is a person who is not afraid to be uncool right yeah the thing that really dictated or like made people afraid to kind of you know publicly be a taylor swift fan this is a person who's like yes i love love stories i'm going to write a song called love story i love the idea of like you know just incredibly romantic storybook ideas yeah. of love i'm going to write love six like you know stories about 
you know, meeting someone and being enchanted to meet them. And, you know, it's all of the things that would be considered basic. She would weave that into her song craft. And I think the thing that was undeniable even then is that she's like, she's a craftsperson, right? She's yeah. weaving stories together. And, you know, all the things that you would sort of deride, uh, like, you know, glitter, you know, storybook romances, um, the idea of like a fairy tale, you know, all of those things. She's like, yeah, I buy into those fantasies. and But I'll be like self-aware enough to talk about how those fantasies even shatter. Yeah. And none of this is going to get me any cool points in any kind of like court of public appeal. But I'm not trying to appeal to people who are who are either going to be derisive of these ideas or who are maybe, you know, if you're too afraid to own up to it, but you actually feel all of these things on the inside, like, there's still my music you can listen to, mm-hmm. which provides an articulation for that. So I feel like it is girl music, but only because she wears all of those themes that, you know, people dismiss her for so proudly on her sleeve. So even that thing that we just spoke about like the fear of not being cool the fear of being basic her response to that is to like sort of assert it even more yeah you know like she did in we are never ever getting back together where she's like you know that indie record that's much cooler than mine yeah so she's like i'm not cool and i know it yeah okay i'm not i know this about myself yeah so and i yeah that's aspirational that is so admirable yeah honestly like to be that unapologetic like like, just to be that honest and self-aware about who you are and just being like, yeah. And also there's a sense of like, I know I'm not cool by like just the public's conception of what cool is, but I think I'm cool my, like within myself. I think like... Being I, yourself is being cool. It's like exactly. that adage, right? Like it yeah. sounds super cheesy, but like you see this woman sort of living it out in her songs. Yeah. When you look at that as an adult, like it's a huge thing that you were like 22 years old and your boyfriend who likes, you know, indie records Mm. and like derides you for like writing basic music, that didn't affect you. And I feel like the thing that overrides all of this is that I think she knows she's really good at what she does. I mean, she's a very confident person. Mm. I think even when she's not confident, she's kind of confident. And... This has been what keeps me going back to her, which is her emotions aren't exactly... Like, I wouldn't say she's completely relatable. I don't feel that. I don't think... I think that's something that, you know, kind of gets lost in the fray where we kind of talk about how we've grown up together, like the fan community has grown up with her. I very often feel like she has responded to a difficult situation in the way I wish I could, but I know I'm not. So I'm going to listen to the song because the song makes me feel good. It is possible to have a healthier response to the situation, but I know I'm not feeling that way. Yeah, Those emotions aren't like, oh, wow, my idol feels the same way. It's more like, wow, this is such a great way to handle the situation. Like, for example, like she's 19 years old. She's had what one can imagine is just a douchey, horrible experience with John Mayo. And, you know, like, no surprises there or whatever. But the song that she sings, like, just the fact that you can be 19 and you can be like, you know, I'm going to be shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. She's like, you know, fuck you. And John Mayer at this point is like, 
super established you know like he is way older than her and she is like literally putting him on the spot in this like just such a satisfying way for a listener yeah it's you a know? superpower like i wish i could do that yeah and especially at the age of like at that particular age like putting men in their place i you don't know how to do that like most of the time you're just kind of just like oh, okay i'm just going to take whatever this guy is like you know throwing in my direction or, or it's like yeah i mean i remember being 19 and not having these kinds of responses to like of situations with boys yeah. like yeah it's a superpower and the way she's able i think she's someone who's very interested in power dynamics in yeah. relationships and i think her biggest source of power is her ability to you know respond through song yeah. or to like process her emotions through song and you know like be able to articulate herself in this way and have it resonate with so many people i actually like made a note of this earlier because i also agree that her music like the appeal of it isn't entirely like relatability so much as and it ties into what you're saying which is that it takes on an aspirational quality almost like we as young teenagers and children are never encouraged to express our feelings in this way and especially like you know the culture that we specifically come from like mm-hmm. it's uh, feelings especially towards the opposite sex are often you're more encouraged to repress them as opposed to express mm-hmm. them there was something freeing about listening to her music and listening to somebody who's of a similar age slightly older than you or whatever but like you know sp- talking or speaking to similar experiences that you've had but in such a mature such an honest way it's more to do with aspiration as opposed to like relatability for me for sure so yeah i think i did have a question about this yeah. which is what is it about like this white american artist who started singing country american music that is so appealing to us yeah. what makes her feel so ubiquitous so universal like i've wondered about this a lot where she's singing about what are essentially you know like her experiences are obviously sort of refracted through who she is hmm. she grew up in a fairly wealthy family her parents were able to support her career in music they relocated to nashville so that she could pursue her career in music and you know she her father had a stake in big machine scott swift he was an investment banker so she obviously comes from a place of means resources yeah. this is not considered a viable career option in no, india of course so it's already a story that's a little removed from us but i play her songs when i'm down and i feel happy yeah how is that happening like what on earth is making this possible and what what is it i so i feel i feel like it's i've thought about this a lot and i think that a part of it has to do with how you know her entire career and this is like well documented well like analyzed by multiple you know pop culture analysts and critics who have spoken about how taylor's is always like you know fighting against something she's like the underdog who you know in her country years was facing Nashville as in the country music establishment and then when she came into pop she was like the person who was kind of to the left of pop so like she was not a pop star 
and in music video for Shake It Off, that's her kind of poking fun at herself. Most recently, she has like this antagonist in mm. her former label, Scooter Braun. So she's always like up against something, or it's like ex-boyfriends relationships where she's always like wrestling with something. So this notion of the power dynamics in her career has been such a through line mm-hmm. so far where i feel like the way in which she is able to rest control and be able to claim power in situations where i know it won't be possible for me to do that like for example like if you take all too well 10 minute version as an example of this or even the original like just the 5 minute version mm. where she is essentially talking about a short lived relationship which has ended because she's much much younger than him yeah. as we later find out but it has ended and i'm sure like so many of us is left in a position where you're trying to make sense of a relationship which quite clearly meant like very different things to both people involved yeah. right and what is her response her response was there was to say i remember it all too well i was there so i know it was not nothing to you hmm. right you can say whatever you want you can act like it didn't happen you can act like it doesn't matter but my memory is crystal clear so i feel like that confidence with which she is able to stand up for herself even at her lowest when she is her most dejected i think that's that's almost like a superpower in my mind where you're able to stand up to the person who has hurt you and say your piece yeah so i feel like that's the thing it's empowering to listen to i know that there are situations in which i haven't said what exactly what i've wanted to say in yeah. that moment i don't have the ability to write a song about it record it and it's so catchy that everyone's listening to it like i know i don't have that but knowing that there is someone who is able to capture that power dynamic that is faced by so many women in so many parts of their lives and it's ironic because she's the most powerful person in the music industry in America right now but still be able to in certain moments feel powerless and then write about it i think yeah. that's a very compelling thing yeah that affects people on a very like visceral level. Yeah, and it's also a very magnified version of an experience that I think a lot of women also face, which is very often you're like I mean it's it's so common right to be written off for being a slut or like I don't know your boyfriend can just be super manipulative and tell you you're this thing and you're not and like Taylor has experienced all of that at like such a great degree and then it's quite literally that thing right like the pen is mightier than the sword like she just reclaims her narrative each time yeah she's able to do that yeah which is like it's aspirational it is like affirming in such an it's incredible to even just watch and to witness i think so and the other thing is like she is exactly who she is which is an incredibly feminine girly girl yeah. who is nerdy about a lot of things who gets overexcited about a lot of things is probably obsessive and pays a lot of attention to detail is like her mini level good student when it comes yeah. to the work that she does and she wears it on her sleeve right like there is no notion of this person is effortlessly good she's like no i work really hard and i think the fact that hard work is almost a part of her brand 
like there was i think when the era store was first being reviewed when it first started there was a guardian article that was called pop's hardest working star mm-hmm. yes pop's hardest working star gives the era store her all i think that these are like undervalued traits of course right especially in celebrity culture where it's like you're born with it or you are just so effortlessly cool yeah. and i think all of those the fact that she works hard the fact that she is trying to assert herself in all of these situations it's it's all very compelling for us to witness as you said uh, like sometimes you associate with like a beyonce this almost like otherworldly quality mm. of you know how is she singing in this way how is she able to dance in this way like obviously those are all miraculous things and maybe beyonce has let us into those aspects of her career in which she like will say that you know i had to watch what i was eating to be able to perform at coachella like she will let us in from time to time but for taylor this is a part of her work mm. the fact that i'm like you know i'm going to enter the studio in the morning and leave like 15 hours later i've been working the whole day the fact that she's going to announce a re-recording project which is obviously so much work and do that simultaneously with recording new music have a three and a half hour long show like there's hard work which is counter to the idea of like someone who's born talented the fact that there are like albums of hers where she's not singing well and you can see her improvement over time you don't see a lot of artists like that ariana grande was a great singer in yours truly her first album and she's like a great singer in positions her latest album you're not seeing like growth being this explicit is i've not seen it in many other artists through mm. the course of their careers mm. so speaking of like taylor sort of owning her own narrative i mean like i think that is embodied in of course like a lot of the, the re-recordings that she has been putting out over the past couple of years and now with the era store mm-hmm and i was wondering if we can take some time to like talk about the eras tour in general i think yeah. we've been consuming it virtually of course much like most other people and uh, it's interesting because like you know the eras tour also came at a time where this like whole in my dash era basically in my dash era is like this popular tiktok instagram saying and i think like taylor sort of like played into that mm-hmm. and i'm just wondering like what do you think makes the notion of eras like as it's now come to be used colloquially like so compelling to to her and also to us like societally like what is it like why are people like sort of erifying like yeah. small moments in their lives so i feel like the eras tour calling her concert tour this is a very good like marketing strategy mm. i definitely feel like so this kind of plays into taylor being very attentive to her fans and listening to them i think that tales of fans swifties were always saying things like i'm in my rep era mm. and i saw it most in relation to reputation because reputation is such a distinct aesthetic era yeah. because you know it's dark and brooding and she's wearing black lipstick and not red lipstick you know it's it's very distinct from her other lighter eras and it also came to me like stand in for like i'm in my villain era like yeah. rep era is my villain era so i feel like she definitely had her finger on the pulse when it came to this and she also sort of played i think what is the conceit of an era 
say about us is that i mean we all live a, a huge part of our lives are lived online right now yeah and i think eras has to do an era the way we use it has a lot to do with an aesthetic yeah right an aesthetic a phase it's a different word for a phrase for us and it's a well defined entity aesthetically well defined it's in taylor's sense it's also sonically well like for her the way she describes it it's sonically well defined and it also captures like a mood in time so these yeah. are all very like netizen yeah. thoughts right what is interesting is that like the actual definition of an era doesn't it doesn't indicate something that's fleeting it indicates like yeah. a like a vast expanse of time the whereas the way that we reclaimed it, it yeah is that an era what is an em- like a what a mes a yeah exactly mes- mes- it's it's a long period of the, time the mes- mesozoic era yeah yeah that's what it is but the way that we've reclaimed it it's become like this fleeting thing and i think that there's i think for me and maybe people in general there's a comfort in like because we've come to like define eras as phases mm-hmm. i mean there's a comfort in knowing that the eras end in the sense that you can be in an era and then be in another you can era. be lots of things you can be lots of things yeah and i think that's definitely a part of it like you know trying on a new identity for a period of time yeah right and i think that the era store calling it an era or like experiencing her albums like eras is more about the fans than it is about her specifically because i think that i don't think all her even though there are like thematic like you could kind of argue that each um album has its own thematic focus which is slightly different from the others but i don't think there are 10 eras yeah. i don't i don't believe that but i do think that there were 10 different moments in time when these albums were released mm. and i think she's trying to like echo the fans experience of an album when mm. it was released and i think that because her own approach towards making her music is i wanted to have like its own aesthetic identity that lends very well into breaking up a live performance into 10 acts mm. and this is one of the instances in which her kind of leaning into what what do fans think about this how do fans experience my music i think that's worked really well because i think she's found like a little sweet spot between how her fans receive her yeah and what is she comfortable doing mm. you know like how how is she most comfortable so I think quite literally she's wearing different outfits on stage. Yeah. Embodying different moods. There are different moods. colors for each era. Yeah, different yeah. colors, different like different moods for sure. Yeah. Uh completely different aesthetic, different sounds. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like she it was a very like savvy marketing decision. Like I know I, we're like reducing it to a marketing decision, but it's like the best form of marketing. No, absolutely. And the fact that like people are dressing up in when they're attending these concerts they're like as different eras like i'm in my fearless era or i'm like yeah I'm, you like we're going for the concert in london like this is a thought i'm having like what era do i want to go as yeah. you know like what represents me and my fandom and my personality and my so it's more about us we're thinking about like 
what we want to embody as much as she embodies those things on stage. Yeah. You alluded to the fact that you wouldn't define Taylor's eras as like 10 different eras. Mm-hmm. How would you define her eras? But I think that rather than the number of the eras, I do see this tour as a massive statement and sort of retrospective look at her career and I think she is doing it to have it coincide with her re-recording project and I think that it's going to end with her having re-recorded all her past albums yeah and then it'll be an end of an era of course yeah. right like the first 17 years of her career and i don't know what she's going to do next so i i think that very conceptually it is an era like i don't see her making a very like you know just like i don't think it's what's after midnights it's more like what's after the era tour yeah like what you've reclaimed everything you're the biggest star on the planet you've unprecedented in a league of your own what do you do next i don't know so i think it's the appropriate term i just don't think there are 10 of them mm that leads me to my next question <laughs> yeah which is what what do you want to see her do next you know <laughs> what yeah yeah ah. i think we were talking about this earlier today and you sort of said you know i feel like she's going to just become a hermit after i i would like her to take a hiatus same yeah because i also was not very jazzed about midnights as, for sure yeah as an album i felt like I think the lack of yeah. inspiration kind of shines through in that album. Like it had started to feel like she was like it was like old ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she's looking back, right? It's like this even the idea of the album is like I'm looking at like 13 nights in my life when I couldn't sleep. Like but no, I don't want her to write songs about moments you've already written songs about. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I feel like musically I think that I would really like her to not be as bothered about things like awards and chart positions and like commercial performance. I want to maybe see her do something smaller or like I feel like one thought I've always had is I want her to be you know record like an album of duets with like female singer-songwriters, you know something like that, like something she's not like done i want to see her get out of her comfort zone in a different way where you know you're sharing space with another performer maybe letting go of like pop song writing yeah. you know maybe i don't know like just i want to see her do something different yeah but i think more than anything i think she should go on hiatus for yeah. some time you know you can really be in your own bubble right like especially when you're at the literally have reached like the heights of stardom and it's like where do you i would want her to go on hiatus and like sort of like figure out who she is now as a 33 34 35 year old mm. and just sort of like be very raw about that and not yeah. like cuz i feel like she's had to put out music every two years and i think after she sort of drops all of her re-records she's probably not even bound I th- I hope by her, any label or uh, you know like to, to to have to do that and I think she can operate on her own timeline and like really go out and live that life because a lot of her music has also like you said like especially with midnights it's tied to a lot of like older ideas 
so who is the new tailor i would i would i would like to like see her explore that i then, right. i feel like you get glimpses of who she is now on midnights where i do think that midnights has a certain ambivalence about you know ideas of marriage yeah you know yeah. has ambivalence about like you know sh- she's thinking about life as a life she's going to probably maybe spend alone you know she's flirting with those ideas mm. in like your own your own kid you always have been yeah um but trying to make peace with that so yeah so i feel like we're already getting glimpses of that but they are not like dominant themes in her yeah. work yet they might just become yeah um but i also i also really believe like you mentioned right like maybe she has like um obligations to release music at a certain cadence maybe and we may see this through the erastore concert film that's releasing next month um she recorded that independently and is also releasing it independently without a studio hmm. and it's already pretty successful she just had to put a trailer up there yeah. and it's already sold like i don't know how many episodes of the crash or something she can what's stopping her from doing that when it comes to her music yeah i mean speaking of the errors to a film i just i also remember that she's writing a film yeah like yeah yeah i think i think the other thing i mean i mean that's something that definitely really excites me i would love to watch a film that was like written by taylor swift but i mean exploring new creative forms could be an interesting next step you know yeah i i don't think i feel like she's not going to leave music behind of course completely. of course but i do i do think that she's flirting with being like the biggest pop star on the planet but also an independent pop star mm-hmm. like it's i i just wonder because if a label like if a label is just incidental to her right now because she signed on to a new label in 2018 or 2019 2019 yeah, at this point so she was still operating in a very different mode back then but right now she's released like seven albums in four years including re-records and yeah i wonder if there comes a point where she feels like she just doesn't need a label anymore yeah. and she can just do be in a position to actually do whatever she wants like she's going to have like more than a billion dollars in revenue through this tour i wonder if they're going to be like changes in the way she operates because yeah. of that so yeah exciting to see i guess thanks so much for listening dude i was thinking is hosted by sanaya chander and ketki sharma Our producer for this episode is Yash Hirave. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. Be sure to follow us at DIWT Pod on Twitter and at Dude I Was Thinking on Instagram. If you have a fleeting thought you'd like us to dissect and analyze, or want to collaborate, write to us at Dude I Was Thinking at Gmail dot com. Stay tuned for the next episode.